if you have a Bible, let me encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat this phrase after me. This is God's Word. I believe what it says is true. It teaches me how to know God and how to live for God. It has the power to change my life. Now turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. When I was a child growing up, I vividly remember every Christmas morning. I would get up early before my parents. I would run into the living room. That's where our Christmas tree was. I would see the presents that, that I received that Christmas that were under the tree. I would play with them for a while. Then my parents would get up. We would eat breakfast. Then we would all get dressed. We would get in the car, and we would take a Christmas road trip to my grandparents' house. When we got there, all of my cousins were there, my aunts and uncles were there, and we would eat a lot of food. We would open some more presents, and then my cousins and I would go outside, and we would play and play and play until we felt like we were about to drop. Then we would come back inside, we would eat some more food, and then normally we would play some board games until it was well into the night. And, and then my parents and I would get back in the car and we would take the journey back to Hartsville. Well, when my wife Sherry and I got married, we began our own Christmas road trips. We would get up on Christmas morning with our kids and, and we would let them open up their presents. Then we would pack our car and, and we would come to Hartsville, South Carolina where our parents lived, from Union, where we lived, and, and we would celebrate Christmas at, at our parents' houses, my parents, my wife's parents, and then we would go to our grandparents, and we would take that Christmas road trip every year when we lived in South Carolina. But then we moved to Florida, and Florida was a little bit further away, and so our road trip changed. Every year, almost every year, for 16 years while we lived in Florida, we would get up on Christmas Eve, and our children would open up their presents on Christmas Eve. Then we would pack our suitcases up, and, and we would get dressed for our Christmas Eve service that night, and we would go to our Christmas Eve service, and right after the Christmas Eve service, we would go into my office and we would all change and we would get in our car and we would take a Christmas road trip from Florida to Hartsville. Now needless to say, on Christmas Eve, there's not a lot open on the road. And so as we traveled, we did everything that we could to pass the time with four kids. We would play games, we would make up silly songs, and typically we arrived in Hartsville, South Carolina about 2 o'clock in the morning. That was our Christmas road trip for 16 years. Now perhaps you're wondering this morning, why in the world, and probably you're asking how in the world, did they get this car on stage? And why is this car on this side of the stage? And there is this stable and this manger on this side of the stage. And we have this backdrop behind us here. Well, the reason is because beginning this morning, we are going to take our own Christmas road trip. 
And as we do, we're going to discover that Christmas didn't begin in a stable with a manger in Bethlehem. It didn't even begin with a message delivered to Mary that she was going to give birth to a child. And it didn't begin with a message to Joseph that he was to take Mary as his wife. You see, as we look at God's Word, we discover that the Christmas story really was planned before creation itself. And and it was promised at the fall of man when man sinned. And as we look through the Bible, we discover that that the Christmas story is prophesied throughout human history and, and Bethlehem and the stable and the manger are only the fulfillment, only the culmination of the Christmas story. It is at the stable that the Christmas story is proclaimed. And so this morning, as we begin our Christmas road trip, what I want us to see is that Christmas was planned before creation. Christmas was was planned before time itself. You see, Christmas and and the sending of Jesus to the earth to, to die for our sins wasn't God's plan B. It wasn't God's plan when he was surprised by Satan's rebellion or or man's sin. Christmas was God's plan from the beginning. And we see this over and over again in Scripture. I want to give you some verses. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says this. Even before he, God, made the world, God loved us. And he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now, don't miss how this verse begins. It says, even before God made the world, he loved us. And he chose us. The Greek literally says there, before the world was conceived, before the world was even thought of in God's mind, God loved you. Now does that blow your mind? Before anything that was made, that it was made, God loved you. Now listen to what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 19 to 20, it says this. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But he has now revealed him to you in these last days. The same phrase that is used in Ephesians chapter 1 is used here. Before the world was conceived, before there was any work of creation done on God's part, God had already decided that the blood of Jesus would pay for our sin and rebellion. Now don't miss this. But before we were even created and could rebel, God had already planned our redemption. God had already planned our salvation. Now I want us to look at the verse that that I want us to unpack this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Paul says in these verses, So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us. And called us 
to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time. To show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plan to us, plain to us, by the appearing of Christ Jesus our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. Now did you catch that phrase? It says before the beginning of time. Think about that. It literally says in the Greek before time. Now, it's difficult for us to comprehend a time before time. But the Bible says that God had a plan and God had a purpose before there was even time. The truth of the matter is, when there was only God, before he created the angelic beings, before Satan rebelled against God's authority, before God created the heavens and he hung the first star in place, before God created the earth and, and fashioned the mountains and the valleys, before he filled in the oceans, before God covered the land with plant life, and before he made thousands of unique animals, before he created man in his own image, and before that first man rebelled against him in that garden, before God created anything and before God created everything, he already had Christmas on his calendar. Now talk about planning ahead. Talk about strategy. Talk about the long game. Now I've got to be honest with you. I'm not good at planning. I'm good at dreaming, but I'm not very good at planning. Neither my wife or I are good at planning. And sometimes we look at ourselves and we just laugh and we say, except for the grace of God. I mean, it's amazing that we even know how to get up and get ourselves dressed at times. I'm not a good planner, but the Bible says that God is the master planner. God has planned our salvation long before Anything was created, and he developed a strategy to save us. And I love board games. I grew up playing board games. And one of the games I learned to play very early, my dad taught me how to play, was chess. And chess is a game of strategy. Chess is not only a game of moves. Chess is a game of counter moves. If you want to be good at chess, you, you not only have to know what move you want to make, you need to anticipate the move that your opponent is going to make. And really, you not only need to anticipate the move your opponent is going to make, because you don't know the move your opponent is going to make. You need to anticipate every possible move that your opponent can make and have a move in advance ready for that move. Now, God is the ultimate chess champion. The Bible says before time, when there was only God, God already knew every move he was going to make. And God knew every move that anyone and everyone was going to make. And God already had a plan in place for any and every move that will be made in human history. 
God knew before he created the heavenly host, the angels, that Satan would rebel and take a third of the angels with him. Did you know that? God wasn't taken by surprise when Satan rebelled. God wasn't taken by surprise when a third of the angels rebelled against him. And God knew that Satan would then tempt mankind, man created in God's image with sin. And man would be deceived and man would fall into rebellion. God knew that before he created anything. And God knew that that rebellion would result either in the death of all mankind or there would have to be a great sacrifice that would have to be made. God knew all of this in advance. Now what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that nothing takes God by surprise. There are no gotchas with God. God is ready for anything that will happen. We get so worried when we watch the news and we hear what's going on with President Trump and, and North Korea. And this past week, I mean, people got bent out of shape because President Trump recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. I mean, we get worried and we get upset and we get concerned. What's going to happen now? We have this idea that, that God is taken by surprise. Some of us think that, that God got up on Sunday morning. He began to watch CNN and Fox News and he said, What? What did Trump do this time? I can't believe it. I'm shocked. You see, God is never taken by surprise. God knows every move that Satan will make. God knows every move that you will make. And God has a counter move to carry out his ultimate plan for the world in spite of what happens. Nothing takes God by surprise. So understand that. That means those of us who know Jesus and trust in Jesus need not worry. We need not fret. Because we are his and he has everything in control and under control. But this also raises a question. Why did God create the world this way? I mean, if God knew in advance that the angels would rebel, why did he create them that way? If God knew in advance that that mankind would disobey if he gave mankind the capacity to disobey. Why did he create mankind with the capacity to disobey? I, I mean, couldn't God have created a world in which these things couldn't have happened? Couldn't God have created a, a world in which a program was written where Satan didn't rebel and, and man never chose to eat the forbidden fruit? Couldn't God have done that? And the answer is absolutely. But for God to have done that, he would have created robots instead of human beings that he wanted to be a part of his family. He would have had to remove our free will. He would have had to remove our capacity to think, to make decisions, to choose. 
And if God would have removed our free will, our capacity to make decisions, to choose, then we would never have the capacity to truly love. Because love is a choice. You see, for me to truly experience love, I have to be able to choose not to love if I want to. And so God created us with this free will, with the capacity to choose to love or not love, with the capacity to choose to obey or not obey, so that we could experience what it was like to live in relationship with God. You see, God didn't need servants who would wait on his every need. God is God. God has no needs. God wanted a family a family that he could love and, and a family that could love him in return. He wanted a family that in some small way could understand and grasp the extent of his love and the price that he was willing to pay for his love. You see, before time began, before anything that is made was made, God saw you. He knew you, he loved you, and he wanted you. And that's what Christmas is all about. That's why God planned this season before he made a single thing. Before there were calendars and before there was time, God had set aside the very first Christmas Eve and the very first Christmas morning. Now there are thousands of implications to this. But from 2 Timothy 1, there are three things that I want us to see that I think are extremely important to us. The first one is this. We have a purpose. Because of Christmas and because God planned it in advance, we have a purpose. Paul says it this way. He says God's plan was to save us and call us to live a holy life. God wants to save us. And God wants us to live a holy life. Now notice, first of all, God's plan has always been to save us. That word save, it literally means to deliver. It, it means to make whole. God wants to deliver us from the power of sin. He wants to restore what has been taken from us because of sin. He wants to make us whole. And what we need to understand is that sin is something we all need to be delivered from. For some of us, the power of sin is evident. It manifests itself in ways that, that everyone can see. From the words that come out of our mouth, from the, the things that we do, from the way we act, it is obvious that we are under the control of sin. For others of us, it's not so clearly seen. But the fact of the matter is, we all struggle with sin. The Bible says that we are all captives, slaves to sin. That's why Jesus came. That's why we have Christmas. Jesus came to free us from sin's power so that we can live a holy life, the life we were created to live in the first place. Now, that word holy is misunderstood by a lot of people. 
When people who have not yet experienced God's grace, who have not yet understood the power of Jesus Christ, when they hear the word holy, they think about holier than thou. They think about self-righteous people who think they are better than other people. That's what people outside of Christ think about when they hear the word holy. Or perhaps other people think about people who have these really weird ideas about how to dress and about what to eat and about what to do. And certainly, holiness will affect what we do. Certainly, holiness will even affect how we dress, but the word means so much more than that. At its root, the word holy simply means set apart. And in this context, context, it means set apart for God. You see what the Bible teaches is this. God created us to be unique. God created us different from everything else in creation. He made us for a special relationship. He created us to be a part of his family. And until we understand that, we will never find what we're looking for. When he created us, he created us in his image. He created us in his likeness. And the Hebrew there in Genesis 1 paints a picture as if God is looking in the mirror and he sees himself And then he begins to form and fashion mankind. Now, I don't know about you, but that absolutely blows my mind. It's as if God said, I want to expand the family. And so I am going to create human beings. You see, holiness is understanding that our identity will never be found in this world or the things of this world. Our purpose will never be found in this world or the things of this world. It can only be found in God. We were created by God. And we were created for God. And until we discover that, we're always going to be searching. There's always going to be an emptiness deep inside of us. But tragically, most people trying to find their purpose and their identity in this world. Listen, as we head into the three weeks before Christmas, you need to understand that what's under that tree is never going to fill the emptiness in your life. Some of us have that idea. The keys to a new car, it's a new wardrobe, it's a new relationship, whatever it may be. Something that is under that tree is going to fill the void in our life, and it won't. You were created by God, and you were created for God, and and that's why before time itself, God chose to save you. God chose that you would be holy. Because of Christmas, we have a purpose. But there's a second truth in this passage, and that is this. Because of Christmas, we can have peace in our suffering. Paul said this. He said, with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me. It doesn't stop there. For the sake of the good news. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer 
for the sake of the good news. And when Paul wrote this, he was in a Roman prison. And most people think that his execution at the hands of Nero was imminent. But not only was he in a Roman prison awaiting execution, he had been abandoned by most of the people that were close to him. As a follower of Jesus, Paul had been in prison, he had been beaten, he had been shipwrecked, he had been falsely accused, he had been abandoned, and now he was facing death. Paul knew what it was to suffer, and yet he talked about strength in the midst of suffering. Now to understand, suffering is a part of living in a fallen world. People ask, why do bad things happen? Bad things happen because we live in a fallen world. People you love are going to die because we live in a fallen world. People you love are going to get sick and suffer in pain because we live in a fallen world. People you know and love are going to be taken advantage of People you care for are going to have bad things happen to them because we live in a fallen world. And until Jesus comes back and sets everything right, we are going to have this common suffering that is something that each and every one of us face. But Paul wasn't talking about suffering that is common to us all. He's talking about suffering for the gospel. Suffering for the good news. You see, because we know the real story of Christmas, we are not only able, we are willing to suffer for the gospel. And listen, the Bible makes it clear that when we seek to live godly for Christ Jesus, we will suffer persecution. And the problem is that statement is in conflict with the culture that we live in today. Because in the culture we live in today, we do everything that we can to avoid suffering rather than embrace suffering. And yet the Apostle Paul said, be ready, be prepared to suffer with me for the sake of the gospel. This past summer I was at a luncheon with with David Platt, who is the president of the International Mission Board. And, and during the luncheon, he did a Skype interview with one of our missionaries that live in a part of the world that for security reasons, he couldn't disclose his location. What he did say is every week when he goes to the open market to buy food for his family, he is shopping for food right next to Al-Qaeda. That's the part of the world that he lives in. Because of that, martyrdom is, is a possibility, a, a very real possibility. And this young missionary has a wife and has three little daughters. And he said that, that when they were thinking and praying about going on the mission field to this part of the world, they realized that it was a very real possibility that, that none of them would ever come home again. Or... When they did come home, they wouldn't come home as a family of five. They would come home as a family of four or three or two. And David Platt asked him, 
He said, why? In light of the danger, in light of the suffering, in light of the very distinct possibility that you or some of your family could die, why did you go? This missionary thought about it for a moment. And then he looked at his computer and we could see his face and he said this, because the gospel is worth it. And because the souls of those who have never heard of Jesus is worth it. Here was this young missionary whose face was covered, who was in a place of the land and the place of the world that, that we do not even know because it is so dangerous. And he said, I am here and my wife is here and our three little girls are here because the gospel is worth it and because the souls of those who have never heard is worth it. Is it tough where that man lives? Yes. Is it dangerous? where that man lives absolutely but is it worth it according to him you better believe it and you need to understand that that when you experience the power of Christmas in your life and when you begin to understand the truth of the Christmas message then the gospel will be worth it to you Now, the fact of the matter is, for those of us who live in Lexington, we will never have to face suffering like this family. We will never face the danger day in and day out that this family does. But hear me, according to God's word, all of those who seek to live a godly life for Jesus Christ will suffer persecution all of us and yet in the midst of it he gives strength he gives peace that's why in another place Paul said I don't want you to grieve like those who have no hope we have a hope because of the gospel because of Christmas that allows us to face anything and face everything. Because of Christmas, we have a purpose in life. And that purpose is to be a part of God's family, to be set apart for God's use, to find our existence and our identity in Him. Because of Christmas, we can have peace in the midst of our suffering, not the common suffering that everyone faces, and certainly he gives us peace in those times, but he gives us peace in the midst of suffering for the gospel. And then third, because of Christmas, we have the power to witness. Listen to what Paul says. He says, never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Why? Because he really is the only hope of the world. Jesus is the answer to everything that people are looking for. You, you see, some of us who are Christ followers are so stressed out right now 
because we haven't finished our Christmas shopping. And we're thinking in our minds, what am I going to get my daughter? What am I going to get my son? What am I going to get my grandkids? What am I going to get my wife? What am I going to get my husband? Oh my goodness, what am I going to get them? Well, listen, anything you get them, anything you get them is not going to give them what they need. Unless you give them Jesus. Jesus is our only hope. And if we believe, if we believe the Christmas story, if we believe that God planned for Jesus' birth and Jesus' death before creation, before time itself, then we must, we must be witnesses to that story. We must. Christmas was planned before creation and because of that you have a purpose I have a purpose Christmas was planned before creation because of that we can have peace in the midst of suffering as we share the gospel the good news and because Christmas was planned before creation we can have power as we witness because we know that the gospel is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believes. So what's my invitation to you this morning? It's twofold. One, if you haven't discovered your purpose and your identity in Christ, then I want to encourage you today to humble yourself. Give your life to Jesus. Because you will never find what you're looking for apart from him. And it's going to take your absolute total surrender. It's going to take you humbling yourself, acknowledging your sin, believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the grave to pay for your sin. And when you do that, the power that comes through the Holy Spirit is going to come and live in you and change you and make you brand new. So if you're here and you've never accepted Christ, you've never discovered that he is your purpose and identity for life, then I want to encourage you to do that this morning. But then second, if you are a follower of Jesus, as we head into this Christmas season, let's make a commitment. Let's make a commitment not to avoid suffering, but to embrace it as a reality. For all of those of us who seek to live a godly life for Christ Jesus. And let's ask ourselves, not only for us, but for our children and our children's children. Let's ask God, what is your plan for them? And let's pray. Let's pray that, that God may choose to call some of our children and some of our grandchildren into these difficult and even dangerous places to share the hope of the message of Jesus. And then I want to encourage you, if you know Jesus, to be a powerful witness, to share God's love with others, because there is no other message that can change a human heart. There is no other hope that can give hope for all eternity. And so I want you to bow your head with me.
with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want to first of all extend an invitation to you who may have never given your heart and life to Jesus, but today you know that's what you need to do. You know that you're a sinner. You know that you need the blood of Jesus to cover your sins. And I want to encourage you right here, right now, to humble yourself. Give your heart and life to Jesus. You can pray this prayer if this is the desire of your heart. Dear Jesus, I humbly come to you this morning admitting my sin. I know I've rebelled against you. I know I've disobeyed you. I've lived life my way. Please forgive me. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth. You died on the cross. You rose from the grave as the payment for our sin. Father, I believe that you planned that before time itself. You love me that much. Right here today, I'm giving my life to you. I'm trusting Jesus to be my Savior. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. If your head's still bowed, your eyes still closed. If you're here and you know Jesus, and yet you've lived your life avoiding suffering for the gospel, you've tried to live a life of comfort rather than a life of boldness, you're here today and you haven't made it a habit of sharing the gospel with the power of the Holy Spirit in you then I want to encourage you today to make a commitment to do that and if you want to you can pray this prayer right here and right now dear Jesus I love you so much forgive me I've sought to live a life of comfort life of ease and yet I recognize that you have called me to face suffering for the gospel Lord give me the courage to suffer believing that you will give me peace and strength as I face the difficult and dangerous times Father give me power to witness through the strength of your Holy Spirit. Use me, Father, to point people to Jesus, who is not only the reason for the season, but the only hope of the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.